Christ is risen. Very good. Make the most of this Easter joy, uh, the joy which particularly has uh, suffuses the church in this week, the Easter octave, which concludes today. And throughout the Mass, all last week, every day, um, we've been praying, this is the day the Lord has made, let us rejoice and be glad. Every day this last week has been an Easter day. And although this season will go on for another 43 days, you know, the joy is particularly intense <clears throat> in this last week. But that joy must continue, all right, for the rest of this Easter season. And um, if you were here last week, I'm sure you felt the great joy as I did uh, with the, um, uh, the beautiful ceremonies that we have, we had, and the people who were here, the Easter Vigil, in which we had the joy of uh, baptizing one of our young, young men, parishioners, Adrian, and uh, receiving into the church, confirming our, our young parishioner, Becca, who I'm glad to see you here, Becca, because she wasn't very well yesterday, so uh, I'm glad to see you here. And um, the Easter Vigil itself, but then after, afterwards we had a reception of over 70 people in the parish centre, and they wouldn't want to go. <laughs> I didn't quite get to the stage of getting my keys out, you know, and jangling them. It was a delight to see people just happy to be together and that unity and the joy and then the following morning as well the great joy uh, that was here as well at the Easter Vigil I think I had all of my 15 altar servers at the Easter Vigil and to my amazement 12 of them came again the following morning even though they must have been very tired so very joyful and somehow that joy I hope it sustained you during the week as, it's, uh, as it has sustained me you know in the early church um, on the Saturday evening, that is last night, last evening, the neophytes, those who have just been baptized, would lay aside the um, white garment uh, that had been uh, placed upon them at the Easter Vigil during, during their baptism. And the bishop would bless the water that would be used to wash those garments, and he would speak of his joy at the increase in the number of the baptized. And he would exhort the neophytes to maintain the inward purity of their soul, of which the white garments were but a symbol. And he would say the following prayer over the neophytes. Visit, O Lord, thy people with thy salvation. Behold it now illumined with the paschal joy. But do thou vouchsafe to preserve in our neophytes what thou thyself hast wrought in them unto salvation. Grant that whilst laying aside these white robes, the change may be but exterior, that the spotless purity of Christ, which the eye cannot see, may ever be in their souls, so that they may never lose it, and that thy grace may assist them to gain by good works that immortal life whereunto the paschal mystery obliges us to aspire. The Mass today begins with the beautiful words of St. Peter addressed to the newly baptized in the entrance and from the introit, like newborn babes from the breast of Mother Church, desire the pure spiritual milk of faith, that faith which will make you or them, the neophytes, and all of us strong and loyal. The joy of the growth of the Church is expressed in the reading from the Acts of the Apostles, describing the conduct of the 3,000 who had just heard St. Peter's Pentecost speech or sermon and were baptized. 
It describes the, 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 the conduct of those early Christians, those new converts. And we're told how they devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles, what our translation calls the, commu- the communal life, which I don't think expresses very well the notion of communion. The Greek is koinonia, to deep communion with one another, fellowship. The breaking of the bread and the prayers together. And we're told that all who believed were united together, sharing their goods with one another, and daily assembling in the temple area, and breaking the bread in their homes. That is the Eucharist, celebrating the Mass daily in their homes, because there were no churches. Sharing their meals with joy and praising God. And we're told, and every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. What amazing experience this must have been. What a beautiful sight it must have been for the non-Christians for their fellow Jews to see this community developing with such joy and such unity and such deep faith. It's really a blueprint for the growth of the Christian community. Fidelity to apostolic teaching, communion in faith and the sacraments and everything else that we have, holy mass, even daily if you can, prayer together, This is the blueprint for growing the Christian community. The witness of a united community, united in joy. What would that do to where we are? What effect would that have on Cottage Grove and all the areas that this parish consists of and the areas where you live? Because I know many of you come from beyond the the boundaries of of this parish. What effect would that have on the community in which we live if people saw us faithful to the apostolic tradition, to the apostolic teaching, a deep communion with one another, a great love for the Eucharist, our lives centered around the altar, and we making every effort we can to get to Mass, even beyond the strict obligation of Sunday, and praying together as well as sharing our goods and all that kind of thing. Be an amazing witness. No wonder we read in the Acts of the Apostles, awe came upon everyone, and many wonders and signs were done through the Apostles. And no wonder the number of those who were being saved increased, because people saw this beautiful community that was developing. We need to recapture something of that spirit of the early church. We also need that unity with that koinonia, that communion with and love for one another if we are to persevere in our faith as individuals as well as to survive as a church, as a Christian community. You know, the early Christians had to do this to withstand the obstacles placed in their way. We read in the Acts of the Apostles that they, they sometimes gathered in fear of the Jewish authorities among whom they lived. And so they were deeply united with one another. You know, Christians persecuted today rely much more on one another than we do in our individualistic society. They are faithful to the apostolic teaching. They are deeply united with one another. They will gather for Mass even at risk to their own lives. And they will be persevering in prayer. 
Do you know last year in Nigeria over 5,000 Christians were killed because of their faith? And over 3,000 were abducted. We don't know necessarily their fates. Still, with all that going on, young men offer themselves as seminarians and even they're abducted and killed as seminarians, even before they're ordained as priests. And then they're ordained as priests at great risk to their lives. But many lay people as well. And they keep that joy and that unity with one another. And by the way, I know Nigerians, and I know the Nigerian church, they love singing the Latin, just FYI. They love the fact that they're Roman Catholics and they love the language of Rome and Greek as well. All right? They love it. He agrees. Or she. She agrees. St. <laughs> Peter writes to the neophytes in his letter today, reminding them of the wonderful, imperishable, and unfading inheritance that awaits them. That although they may have to suffer for a while and thus prove the genuineness of their faith as gold is purified and tested by fire, they share the indescribable and glorious joy of attaining the salvation of their souls through Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about, dear brothers and sisters. And it makes anything we have to go through in this life worth it. And it unites us as well in a common purpose, saving our own souls, helping each other save our souls, and saving the souls of others who, with, to whom we bear witness. And even our gospel can speak to this unity of the believers. We hear today how Jesus appeared on that Easter Sunday evening, the very evening of his resurrection. And he gives his greeting of peace, the peace that only he can give. He shows his wounds about which we spoke last Sunday. The wounds which are his ID card. That's his identity. It proves who he is. He breathes on the apostles the Holy Spirit and gives them the power and authority to forgive sins or not. The institution of the sacrament of reconciliation, of confession. Because our Lord knew that there would be division within the Christian community. Didn't he pray after the, last, after the supper, that priestly prayer of Christ, Father, may thee be one as we are one. He wouldn't have offered that prayer if there was no risk of division. And sure enough, there is. But our Lord knew he, the first gift he gave his apostles uh, after his resurrection was the gift of forgiveness, of reconciliation, so that divisions could be healed, so that sins could be forgiven, so that charity could be restored. Because who wasn't there? Thomas, one of the apostles, was not there. He would not believe. And when the others told him he would not believe, unless I see the wounds in his hands and in his side, I will not believe. And so next week, that is today, Jesus appears and he says, Peace, here I am, my ID, my wounds, and addresses Thomas's doubt immediately. Thomas, look at my wounds, give me your hand, place it in my side doubt no longer but believe. If you look at the picture on the bulletin this weekend at Caravaggio, the um, incredulity of Thomas, if you look carefully you'll see that Jesus is taking Thomas's hand and he's actually placing it in his side. You know, you dare not. Come on, put, put your hand in. It's the only way your incredulity will be healed. By placing 
that, that his hand in Thomas's side, by Jesus placing Thomas's hand in his side, he heals Thomas's disbelief. And Thomas is able to, to make that wonderful act of faith, my Lord and my God. And he is, as it were, restored to the communion of the apostles from which he'd absented himself the previous Sunday evening. And he goes on to be a great apostle, spreading the gospel to India and Syria and other places, uh, and, and giving his life to God. But he's, he's kindly chided by our Lord. You believe because you see. Blessed are those who do not see yet believe. It's the neophytes. It's you and me. who are, We are blessed for believing without seeing. As St. Peter says, although you have not seen him, you love him. Even though you do not see him now, even though you do not see him now yet believe in him, you rejoice with an indescribable joy as you attain the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Dear brothers and sisters, let's hold on to this indescribable joy of our faith, which is made manifest by our faithfulness to the apostolic teaching, by our communion with one another, by centering our lives on the breaking of the bread, the Holy Eucharist, the Holy Mass, the altar, our Lord truly present here, and the prayers and praying together. This is what makes us a united community, and this is what will lead to awe in the communities in which we live. And then they, who may not have seen our Lord, will see us and see Christ in us and come to believe. And we'll be able to proclaim with faith as we do every time we see our Lord in the Holy Eucharist, particularly my Lord and my God. Let us ask our Lord to keep alive in us this great joy of our faith, this joy of the unity with which, we, uh, which binds us together, and that others too may come to share the joy of that faith, and so the numbers of those being saved will continue to increase.